Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Don't miss out on your chance to listen to four-time Super Bowl champ Charlie Weiss on the only podcast solely devoted to everyone's favorite position in football, the quarterback. Listen for free now by subscribing wherever you get podcasts or by going to CelebrityQB.com. Welcome to another edition of the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. I'm your host, Dwayne Callender. i got to get into the second uh, episode of the day I'm recording. Uh, just because of uh, the amount of go- stuff going on, it's just uh, too much to pack in one show. So uh, for those of you who are ke- uh, waiting to tune in for the latest in my baseball rankings, you're in luck. So I'm going to get into that uh, a bit later uh, in the show. But first... I need to lead off because, again, you know, you know, before I like just go off the deep end and I keep my voice here, I need to talk about Arsenal. So uh, today was the League Cup final between Arsenal and Manchester City, and you know, I already predicted that this was going to end badly for Arsenal. Arsenal fans knew this game was going to end badly for Arsenal, unless you were delusional. Because, once again, Arsenal has no defense, no depth on the chart because they sold off all their players to forward Aubameyang, which, again, is one player when there were multiple need areas on the back line and midfield that they needed to get into. But, you know, it is what it is at this point with Arsenal. But the the sad fact of the matter is, is that Arsenal only lost... 3-0 Three nothing to Manchester City. It could have easily been six nothing uh, the way that game went if City was going full throttle. I mean, it, you know, as it stands, Arsenal is in dire straits because uh, no one legitimately believes Arsenal can win Europa at this point, except Arsenal executives. Uh, they put out a Twitter poll of who do you want Arsenal to face next. Uh, uh, once the Europa draws are finalized, and the fan base basically responded, uh, it doesn't matter, we're going to get knocked out by any of those teams regardless because of how poor we're playing. I mean, we lost to the fifth best team in the Swedish Premier League uh, at home uh, this week, got bounced out in the League Cup Finals, uh, got another matchup again with Man City in the Premier League, where we're well off the pace. We're at least, uh, I believe we're 11 points out of 
the top four position. I believe that's correct. Either 11. It sounds about right. Uh, I got to look at the table again. But uh, regardless, top four is not happening. Uh, best case scenario, you finish sixth. Uh, just because you, you still got some room between us and Burnley. But, I mean, this is embarrassing at this stage uh, to be this far off. But, again, easily correctable issues that are what plagues Arsenal. Because, again, putting money into the back line, having well-balanced uh, well midfielders, these are basic soccer principles that Arsenal does not even pretend to be interested in. Arsene Wenger only cares about what Arsene Wenger wants, and that's looking at uh, beautiful soccer, in his opinion, in the final third. He doesn't care about the actual act of winning soccer games anymore. He's almost publicly stated as much. He cares about the soccer being beautiful. And when you care about it being beautiful, that means you're not giving a rat's ass about anything else that's going on during the game. So, again, Arsenal only has themselves to blame uh, because the fan base has called for Wenger to be out. Uh, It's even more decidedly in favor of Wenger being out. I know there were still Wenger supporters. It's uh, still out there, but they're few and far between these days because it's abundantly clear uh, that Wenger had no way of getting himself out of it. And he just is hanging on because he likes the way he his style of play goes. He knows he doesn't have the heart in it to actually drive for championships anymore. That's been long evident, but the ca- case was, let's just keep making money for Arsenal Football Club as it is. All right, so that's enough on Arsenal because I I've, I don't want to waste my breath any further on that uh, state of that football club. Uh, we had a victory between, uh, uh, well, matchup between uh, Manchester United and Chelsea. It was won by Manchester United, but we had some controversy yet again. Of course, uh call goes against the team playing uh, United. Uh, so it looked like uh, Alvaro Morata of Chelsea was onside, uh, p- being played on by the foot of the defender. Uh, ref ruled him offside, waved off the goal that would have tied it at two. Uh, no video replay involved with the Premier League at this time. It only happens in the FA Cup where VAR gets involved. But, you know, based off of the freeze frame replays, you can see clearly that Morata was onside. It's just that the positioning of the referee, he's going to look at it and say that, you know, it can be slightly off, but that Morata's shoulder was leaning towards an offside position and it was close enough that he called it. It's just when you look at it, you can at least get a sense that the official was slightly offline, which made it appear that Morata was offside, but if you look at the invisible line, technology-wise, Murata was onside, definitely, and uh, the goal should have counted. So, you know, more food for thought in terms of how the video replay is going to be implemented going forward because, again, you have situations like this where it could be called subjective in real time, but in actual reality, uh, you, you can at least freeze frame it and you can make a determination, hmm, you know what, it's actually uh, close enough where you can make a case that uh, the the offside should have never have counted. But 
uh, you know, that's a debate that's going to be had throughout as soon as VAR gets implemented with teams uh, trying to question the results of the system uh, by simple physics. So, uh, now that uh, we had some soccer talk out of the way, I'm going to have to bag on uh, the NBA one more time because Isaiah Thomas is back in the news. And again, it's because he can't keep his mouth shut. So, as you may recall, Isaiah Thomas was traded from Boston to the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, before the season even started. Has been injured most of the year. Only played 15 games with the Cavs. The Cavs, at the NBA trading deadline, moved uh, Isaiah Thomas for a number of reasons. One being the fact that they didn't think he was going to be healthy enough uh, to make a positive contribution on offense. And the fact that uh, the amount of attention he's drawing from uh, the crowds and media would cause a further further exacerbation of the situation uh, between him and his teammates because... Isaiah Thomas is uh, one of the folks who led the charge of calling out uh, Kevin Love in team meetings, accusing him of not being fully committed to the team, which is rich because the guys who were kind of leading that charge were Isaiah Thomas and Dwayne Wade, who only just got there this past offseason. So uh, it's a very interesting year Isaiah Thomas has had, despite the fact that he has not been able to... uh, I mean, have any sort of productive impact on the NBA level. But he's ran his mouth quite a bit. So, uh, once again, Isaiah Thomas, not one shy for words, it seems, because he keeps getting himself into interview opportunities when he keeps saying that the media is pushing the agenda. Uh, I'm curious to see how that one works. But uh, So he gave an interview to ESPN as part of their E60 television program, And he basically said he was surprised when he was traded, but that the Cavs were in panic mode. Now, again, the Cavs are easily making the playoffs. The Cavs' sole focus is to win the NBA title. Uh, If they didn't see you as a key piece to winning the title, that's why you were moved. It's not that they were in panic mode. It's just the fact that your play was not good enough uh, that they felt that they could actually win uh, uh, win an NBA title against the Warriors with you at the point. That's as simple as it gets because at you know at at the end of the day, it's about winning and results. And the Cavs were not winning with Isaiah Thomas. Guys were not hustling as hard uh, just because Isaiah Thomas was consistently beaten on edges. Uh, he's uh, beaten by runners, uh, getting out of stairs. It's just too many uh, instances where Isaiah Thomas was a liability for his team this season. And yeah, was the hip not healthy? Yes. Uh, should the Knicks have waited? Yeah, they could have waited. But, you know, if the overall came, uh, game plan was to, uh, you know, let the young uh, defense uh, develop and then bring him on later, it failed miserably because, again, these... Uh, 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 these uh, contestants uh, just did not know how to best utilize their circumstances. So they were easily beaten uh, and just caused a kind of further friction on the teams because they still had to stay outside. Of, uh, will, uh, they still had to kind of uh, put themselves out there for IT to uh, 
be productive. And so the Cavs, as a matter of fact, should be the ones feeling aggrieved because IT just did not have it. I mean, yeah, they can blame the Celtics, but they got the the extra compensatory pick from the Celtics after they already agreed to the trade. So, again, uh, the, they're... There's plenty of finger pointing to go around, but the biggest finger pointing needs to be done at IT himself because even after everything that's gone on, he's been consistently talking about Boston. He is has been talking about Cleveland since he left. Any max deal that he gets is going to have some contingencies about uh, his uh, speech. It's just, you know, I, I would not be shocked to see something along those lines because of the fact that uh, he is uh, consistently... Uh, found ways of uh, get getting himself out of uh, of uh, tricky spots. Now, it may not always be legal, but uh, he helped. Uh, he he. Uh, I I don't want to say he is a locker room cancer at this point, but he definitely has added so much baggage to his overall. A profile that it is going to make it far from a lock that Isaiah Thomas sees any significant money this offseason. I think teams may even be willing to put him on a two-year contract deal rather than four or five years uh, for max money because of the fact that it is so hard uh, to get a reliable feel for how... uh, Isaiah Thomas's hip is coming along because he says he's he's coming along better than he ever has before, and he has gotten real practice. He's looked eh for the Lakers thus far, and Lonzo Ball is back, so it's only a matter of time before Lavar gets involved in this situation and starts uh, calling out uh, it. It's it's inevitable. It's just a matter of uh, how soon can Lonzo get fully up to speed, and then from there, what type of uh mean do you run with uh it and uh just uh, lonzo together because they're not prolific shooters uh it is very short uh, lonzo realistically has only been able to guard uh one-on-one coverage when disguising it as two so uh, should be interesting to see how uh that partnership develops or fails to develop because Regardless, there's going to be PR on both sides because, as I said before, uh, Isaiah Thomas was better off not talking and letting his players speak for himself. But now that he's drawn additional attention to himself, he's got to be willing to put up the numbers because, uh, uh, you know, uh, the uh, the league has seen enough tape on him this year that there were enough warning signs that teams could be scared off by him. So, uh he should uh, figure out a way of uh, getting that taken care of. But uh, without much further ado, we're going to get into the fantasy baseball rankings. So uh, this is going past the top 50. So uh, with number 51, uh, we have Justin Verlander, starting pitcher of the world champion Houston Astros. Verlander is an interesting case because he's one of my go-to theories is that uh, as you hit your 30s and you uh, uh, seem to marry more attractive women, 
your focus tends to drift further and further away from baseball. So you're not nearly as sharp and as hungry as you were in your earlier years. Verlander appeared to buck that trend last year because he was on that typical downward slide because he had met Kate Elton. They'd been dating for a while. And so he was sliding downwards. And then he had a, a blip of a renaissance last year. Uh, so uh, even with when he was on the Tigers and then getting traded over uh, to the Astros. So he's put up numbers. Uh, you know, I can't see him putting up the same numbers as he did last year. Uh, which is why I have him knocked down a little bit further back. Uh, but, you know, the strikeout should still be there. Uh, so I'm anticipating over 200 innings pitch, over 200 strikeouts. Uh, in terms of the ERA, I think it's uh, going to be creeping up close to three and a half. Uh, but uh, due to the overall situation regarding pitchers this year uh i i don't think i'll have verlander this year unless uh uh i see uh developments just because of the fact that i think he's so highly ranked on uh the other websites that uh you know following this uh guy probably won't uh address uh, a number of aspects of the organization uh, that uh comes across so I would um, uh, tread not ca- uh, carefully with Verlander, but I would set, uh, set manageable expectations. So his ERA is probably going to be close to 3.5, a whip of uh, over uh, 1.15. Uh, you know, but the wins are going to be there just because the Astros have the offense and the quality starts. Uh, should be on the decent side. Not great, but uh, I think uh, you could still get some decent uh, uh, seats out there. So uh, that's uh, number 51. So 52, uh, we have Hugh Darvish, which is a very interesting case here because he finally signed with the Cubs in the uh, in the offseason, the days for training camp begins. Fresh off the debacle that was the World Series where Everyone and their mother could figure out what pitches you uh, was throwing. I mean, I was doing the live podcast of the World Series and could, down to the pitch, basically dictate where he was going with uh, a lot of the selections, even before the catches made the signals. It, it was bad uh, how how just out of sync he was because he, he was completely, completely lost in that World Series. But... Uh, with that being said, you still has uh, stuff capable of being a number two pitcher, you know, a fringe number one on a championship team. Uh, I wouldn't want to risk it, him being a number one, but the Cubs are in a spot where you need to shore up that pitching staff uh, because John Lester ain't going to cut it by himself. Uh, Darvish has the stuff to strike out uh 200 plus uh, over a season. Uh, you know, he may not get 200 innings, but he, he should still be able to strike out more than nine per inning. So he should get over that threshold uh, and a 3 5 ERA uh, thereabouts. Uh, so uh, got him a little bit, uh, uh, just one behind uh, Verlander, but they, you know, you should get good value out of Darvish. Again, uh, for fantasy purposes, though. Uh, 
this is where you could start uh, drafting uh, pitchers. So, you know, I'm not uh, not going to uh, knock a, a Darvish here just because it, it's a good spot to take him if you haven't grabbed a pitcher yet and it's uh, you've, uh, you're have you feeling confident about the uh, pitchers that you've already grabbed. So, uh, next up, we got Carlos Martinez of the Cardinals. Uh, you know, injuries plagued him last year. Uh, he should be in a much better spot. The only thing that I question with uh, Martinez, I'm not entirely sold on if the strikeouts are going to be there. Uh, I think his ERA is actually going to be lower than both Furlander and uh, Darvish. Uh, but I'm not sure if he's going to hit 200 strikeouts. Uh, that's the only knock I, I have against him. Uh, I think he's going to be uh, maybe just a little bit shy of 200-plus strikeouts. He'll get to 200 innings uh, if he's healthy, uh, but he'll probably be in high 190s. Uh, so that's the knock on him why he uh, drops down behind those two other pitchers. But you should get a number of quality starts. And again, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of look at this as this uh, spot where, uh, again, if I just grabbed Robbie Ray in the previous round, do I reach back and grab Carlos Martinez and double up on those two? Uh, just because Martinez will help with the ERA that Ray will be uh, might be a little bit higher on, and Ray will supplement the strikeouts that Martinez will be lacking. I could see myself doing that. Uh, it's just a matter of kind of tempo of how the draft's going. If I double up on pitchers in this uh, spot in the draft, but uh, I, I do like uh, Martinez as an ERA plus kind of a pitcher uh, who's not going to be in the top tier of pitchers, but uh, should be serviceable and won't really hurt you in terms of of uh, other categories. Uh, he might be slightly higher in whip just because of walks, but uh, not m- much more so. I don't think he'll be like a 1.2 uh, whip, uh, anything higher than 1.2 in terms of whip. So it uh, sh- should be more manageable uh, in uh, this spot. So moving on to number 54, uh, we've got Chris Davis. Chris with a K, so not Crash Davis uh, of uh, the the O, so we've got Chris Davis of the Oakland Athletics. Uh, you know, Davis is one of those strange cats that I guess uh, became a late bloomer because he has just been pounding the ball the past three seasons. Uh, I mean, when you're looking at Davis, you're looking at uh, home runs. So he's uh, he's uh, essentially a lock for. Uh, 40 plus bombs again this year. Uh, it's going to strike out a ton, but you know, you're looking at 40 bombs, 100 RBIs. I don't have an issue with grabbing Chris Davis. Uh, I know some people will cite him as a case of uh, he's going to hurt you on a batting average side and on base. Yeah, the, if you're looking at it from uh, an on base percentage where you have on base and batting average. Yeah, you're definitely in trouble if you're grabbing Chris Davis. But I'm looking at this. uh, If it's just an OBP league uh, or it's a batting average league, you can have a masher and still fill out the rest of your uh, roster uh, 
with uh, quality hitters. Uh, so if you have a couple of five-tool players uh, that can get stolen bases and you still need some power, I like Chris Davis here uh, just because he can uh, drive a number of runs and uh, uh, he'll definitely uh, be on the plus side in terms of home runs and slugging. Number 55, Eric Hosmer, now with the San Diego Padres first base. Uh, basically, uh, you know, people were making a fuss over how much money Hosmer's getting. Uh, I mean, if you really look at it, he's making uh, just over $22 million a year for the first five years. Then he has opt-out years after the first five. Uh, you know, so really it's a five-year contract, not an eight-year deal, but... Uh, you know, if he completely stinks up the joint, then yeah, he'll lock in for the full eight and just coast on that money. But uh, uh, I think the numbers were legitimate last year. That's why I have him up here at number 55. I know some places will have him ranked lower because he's moving to San Diego. To me, Petco uh, Park is a spacious ballpark that plays more towards uh, Hosmer's strengths, which is gap power, not necessarily power hitting. Uh, so I look at him as a poor man's Joey Votto, uh, just in terms of he's going to have the uh, uh, the batting average high enough where, uh, you know, even though he won't walk as much as Votto, uh, you're still going to get decent OBP numbers. He's he's going to drive in uh, some runs uh, just because they're, they're going to pencil him in. So uh, he's going to be like a 292 type hitter. Uh, He's going to have like about 20 bombs uh, and about 80 runs. Uh, in fact, I, I might even be underrating him a tad uh, just by putting him down 50s. Uh, I, I just look at it as like when I was looking at the composite average average rankings, uh, Hosmer was uh, basically in the 60 and 70 range. And, you know, it just doesn't compute because when you look at the offensive numbers that he's putting up, uh, you know, it's not Joey Votto-like, but it's close enough where, you know, if you haven't grabbed the first baseman yet, yeah, you should probably start looking at grabbing the first baseman because uh, after after this point, you're, uh, you're going to be in a little bit of a tight spot uh, past uh, uh, his teammate Will Myers, who still would qualify for first base this year, even though Will Myers is going to be going out to the outfield. Uh, so, Will Myers still qualified for the outfield. Uh, uh, will still qualify for first base, but he's really going to be an outfielder. Uh, and then the other character you're going to be looking at uh, in terms of first base is uh, Miguel Sano. So, uh, I'll get to those two shortly. But, uh, yeah, if you haven't grabbed first baseman at this point in the draft, uh, you're kind of playing with fire a bit, in my opinion. Uh, in terms of a draft strategy. Next up with number 56, we've got Jonathan Shoup for the Baltimore Orioles. Second base, honestly, second base, you're not at a premium power position, but he's got plenty of pop. Uh, you know, he's been a 30 home run guy uh, last year. He's, he's been putting up numbers the last few years. It's just that now he's finally gotten the batting average up, so... Uh, you know, I kind of look at this as a player who's starting to peak. So, you know, I could see him being around a 278 batting average with 30 plus bombs and uh, 100 RBIs. And again, uh, I think this is one of those where uh, the market is still 
undervaluing him, so I've got him at 56. Uh, I, I just look at the position and I'm saying to myself, uh, there aren't a ton of guys at second base uh, that I would uh, be uh, kind of trusting uh, more often than not. So I, I gotta, I kind of say that you gotta start putting the slotting these guys in. So uh, I, I like Shoop in this spot. Number 57, Miguel Sano. Uh, you know, I talk about first base and third base eligibility. Uh, first base definitely powers at a premium. Uh, you want to get power at your first baseman spot. And at this point, you're starting to run out of options. So uh, Miguel Sano is a guy who can burn you. Uh, just because of injury history. Uh, but uh, from a consistency standpoint, he can go ice cold. So uh, uh, Sano has the ability to hit 40 bombs. He can also tank your batting average with a 230 batting average. It's entirely possible. I look at him and say that, uh, you know, I- I'm going to lean on the side of trepidation. But, you know, at this point in the draft, you should be looking at uh, getting a first baseman. And he's one of your last few options left that can get you uh, uh, a high home run tally. So, uh, again, uh, power's at a premium at first base. So, uh, you got to get it where you can. Next up at number 58, another guy that can kill your team, Will Myers. Will Myers has been Mr. First Half for two years now. Uh, You know, he gets off to these monster starts in the second half of the season just so abysmal that you feel like dropping him. Uh, you know, I don't know what to make of Myers this year. I, I do know he's going to get to somewhere around 30 home runs. I just don't know if it's going to be balanced or if it's just going to be another one of these first half sprints. Because, again, Will Myers scares the crap out of me if I'm using him as my primary first baseman uh, because of the fact that, again... I don't know if he gets off to a slow start. Do I ride it out? Because we've seen the brutal stretches in the second half. Uh, he is a high-risk player, in my opinion. But, you know, if you haven't grabbed first baseman by this point, you're in trouble. So you might have to settle for Will Myers uh, at this point. Uh, it's just you're you're pushing it uh, in terms of other candidates uh, that you can grab. So... Uh, again, unless uh, something happens where you got Ryan Braun qualifying for first base, which is some of the talk that's happening out of Brewers camp, but I, I'm not, I'll believe it when I see it, uh, just in terms of playing time. So uh, you can't bank on that. So again, you could be in a tight spot if you haven't grabbed first base right now and have to sell for Will Myers. So uh, he can get you around a 260 average with 30 bombs. The, the problem is, is that, uh, I have no idea where he's gonna end up uh, being because he can he can be all over the place and because of that fact he scares crap out of me. But uh, I got him ranked at fifty eight. But uh, it's <laughs> it's a it's a it's tread with caution type of fifty eight. So uh, number fifty nine, Gene Segura. Uh, Segura, you know, could could scare you because of last year. Uh, I mean, it's uh, it's one it's one of those uh, it's one of those players where y- now you're, we're starting to get into the nitty gritty of 
guys who can help you, but they can also hurt you. Uh, Segura's got pl- uh, plenty of capability of going, uh, uh, doing 2020. I don't think he'll get 20 bombs, but he has the potential to get 20 bombs. Uh, I look at him more as a leadoff hitter who's going to get you uh, close to 100 runs. Maybe he scores 100 runs with Seattle, depending on how well the offense uh, uh, performs. Uh, but, uh, you know, you're going to get somewhere around uh, uh, in the low teens in terms of uh, home runs. Uh, but I, I, I think definitely think he has the capability of getting uh, upwards of uh, 20 bombs. Uh, you know, he's a leadoff hitter, so you're not going to get that much in the way of RBIs, but he's definitely going to be uh, in the mid-20s in terms of steals. So, uh, you know, overall, again, a guy who can hurt you just because if the batting average isn't there, uh, you could get in into some trouble there. But uh, I, I, I think it's uh, likely where uh, he's going to put up uh, decent numbers and he's going to be around a two, uh, 280, 290 batting average. Next on tap, another guy who can really hurt your team. Could also help you too, but, you know, I I just look at him with a tread with caution, and that's Billy Hamilton. Uh, Finally got to the steals uh, and good-for-nothing-else kind of player. Uh, I mean, Billy Hamilton, I would feel so much more comfortable with him. Uh, Just the... just the inability of getting on base properly is just killing me. Uh, Billy Hamilton's not going to walk a lot, and that batting average is going to be uh, about 245 to 252 in that range. It's not going to be much higher. Uh, it's going to be around that area uh, just because of his speed. He's been able to run out indoor grounders uh, and just uh, do it that way. But if Billy Hamilton ever learned how to freaking bunt for a hit, his batting average would be 280. I, I am convinced of this. I've been saying this for years. I don't know what it is with the management of the uh, Cincinnati Reds that nobody can teach Billy Hamilton how to bunt for a hit. He has so much speed, it's inexcusable that he can't bunt for a hit at this stage of his career. Uh, you know, if this was like the. I mean. Literally, any kind of batting lessons from Kenny uh, Kenny Lofton and Billy Hamilton would be become a top 20 baseball player. The fact that he can't bunt for a hit just drives me nuts with baseball players because, to me, he has more than enough speed with any decent bunting ability that he should be able to get on base uh, at, for a, a close to a 300 average, at least 280. But closer to 300 if he can bunt for a hit. Just because it's almost impossible to guard for a bunt for a hit without bringing the infield in, which makes it easier for you to shoot the ball through the gap. It, it would help his game so much if he had the threat of a bunt for a hit. Instead, he, he does this weird-ass swinging, swinging bunt routine, which has worked, but it's far less efficient than actually being able to bunt for a hit. So, again, my frustration aside, Billy Hamilton can definitely help your team. It's just that he can drag down. Uh, if you're an OBP league, he can absolutely drag down your on-base percentage because he ain't going to walk. So, rank number 60, but if you're drafting him, uh, yeah, you're taking that uh, those 60-plus steals, but you got to figure out a way of balancing out the rest of the roster because of how much he's going to put a drag on uh, your offensive categories uh, because of 
uh, the lack of walks at all uh, in his game. So, uh, you know, it's one thing to take hits on home runs and RBIs. It's another to take hits in three separate categories uh, when you factor in the fact that he's not going to have a decent batting average and uh, he's not going to be good on base percentage. So that, that hurts you from another aspect. So, to me, it's one of those players where it's a catch twenty-two. You got to have a good roster around him if you're going to draft him. So, uh, I wish you luck. Uh, I'm I may be off of Hamilton this year just because I've given up. I've all but given up hope on him learning how to bunt for a hit. It, it to me, it's it's it'll look more rudimentary than anything else with his speed that anyone teaching him to how to halfway decently bunt. That he can get on base, but uh, it doesn't look like it's going to happen with him. All right, number sixty-one. We've got Christian Yelich. Uh, you know, it, it. This is like kind of like two parallels here. With uh, I got uh, sixty-one and sixty-two with Yelich and Kane. Uh, I think these guys are both going to have basically around the same numbers. Uh, and Milwaukee, tra- uh, Milwaukee signed Lorenzo Kane, and they traded for Yelich. And I. I they're kind of like the same player. It's just one one's a white guy and one's a black guy. I don't know if they're going for an ebony ivory kind of thing. but uh, So I'll just give the same stat line because, again, I think at the end of the year, it, it's going to be really close. I think they're both capable of being around 95 to 100 runs. Uh, home runs, I say they're both probably going to top out just under 20. So I got them at 18 to 19. Uh, RBIs, uh Yelich might hit slightly up, so that's the only difference that you're going to get it from the RBI front. But, uh, you know, I, I think they're probably going to be somewhere in the 70s. But, again, it's arbitrary uh, just depending on uh, if Yelich hits uh, in front of Kane, which I think he most likely will. Uh, batting average, they're both going to be around 290. On base percentage, they're pretty much going to be around the same. And then stolen bases, they're pretty much going to be around the same for uh, 18 bags stolen. Again, I'm not sure. Uh, once Milwaukee signed Lawrence O'Kane, I wasn't sure what the thought process was with trading for Yelich, other than they wanted to duplicate what they did and tailor their skills, or if they were trying to move Brian Braun to uh, different parts of uh, the infield. To get, again, I, I believe it when I see that Ryan Braun's going to play first base full-time. Uh, but it was a little bit strange seeing Yelich and Kane being signed, uh, uh, being brought over to the Brewers at the exact same time when they have Ryan Braun. But uh, again, from fantasy perspective, the numbers are going to be comparable. So uh, moving on, uh, it's uh, going to be numbers. Uh, yep. So that brings us to number sixty-three. Robin Cano, don't you know? You know. <sighs> Cano is one of these players that I keep waiting for a massive regression on just because everything about his personality screams that he's not going to work hard the older he gets and is just coasting off of his natural-born talent. So, again, I probably have him ranked lower than most people do. Uh, But, uh, you know, Cano, I think, is probably going to start seeing a massive drop-off just because he got hot at certain points last year, but I I honestly don't see him as anything more than a 275 hitter with 
getting close to 20 home runs. I, I just think the fact that uh, the Safeco uh, Park is now going to start affecting him because he doesn't have, he's not going to have the bat speed that he once did with the Yankees. I, I definitely look at him as a potential regression candidate. So you can see people drafting him early. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'll slot him in here uh, just because this is about fair value, I think, for him at, at this stage of his career uh, because of how second base is. But there, there are a couple other guys that I will be looking at harder uh, to grab uh, than uh, Cano. But, uh, you know, uh, he is someone that you can consider at, at this uh, period. It's just, again... Having owned Cano for many, many years when he was a top 20 player, you know, you kind of expect him to drive you nuts with uh, just the lack of consistency. Uh, I don't see that uh, changing. I think he's still going to be inconsistent. It's just that the peaks uh, are going to be far fewer than the valleys at this point in his career. So kind of the same assessment I made for Upton. It's just that, uh, you know, Upton has still has more upside than Cano at this stage of his career. So uh, that's the difference between those two. So moving on. Number 64. <sighs> Woo! This guy. Oh, man. I can only drop this guy in maybe one league just because he has the talent. But, man, it is going to take some commitment to make this kind of a pick. Hopefully he slips further behind but I've been hearing him getting talked up uh quite a bit uh just in the uh pre-draft analysis so we'll see how it goes but uh number 64 is Byron Buxton outfielder for the Minnesota Twins again loads of talent I mean this is a this is a kid who can easily steal 30 bags and hit for 30 home runs he has that potential the problem is, is that he can easily hit below the Mendoza line and be in the minors by June. It, it, there's there's so much talent with Byron Buxton. Everyone keeps raving about him. He hasn't shown it yet, but the the promise is there because when you see the clips of him, you see you see the uh, you see the intangibles of in terms of bat speed and, uh, and where uh, he is speed wise. So. Uh, when you uh, put uh, put it all together, yeah, he could be incredibly dangerous. He can also burn your team uh, faster than a drop of a hat. Uh, so, uh, you know, this is one of those uh, reach picks where, you know, I will do it for one league and maybe one league only just because the hype train is real on Byron Buxton this year. Uh, I, I just, you know, again, it's a dangerous pick with Byron Buxton, but... Yeah, he can win you your league. It's just that he can also be a top... While he can be a top 15 guy, he can easily be a 200 guy this year. And that's the scariest part of it all. So uh, just to be perfectly honest in terms of where I'm ranking him, I'm going to give him 70 runs scored, 20 bombs, uh, 80 RBIs, about a 240-ish type of average, and... Over 30 steals, which is what gets his ranking uh, up to this stage. Uh, but, you know, that could easily flip. And, again, this is you're going on the upside here when you're drafted him. 
uh, much like the next guy coming up at number 65. It is the Wild Stallion himself, Yasiel Puig. You know, Puig, you know, it, it took a number of benchings and being sent down to the minors for it to finally click in the second half of the year for Puig. So you would think that he finally, the light has dawned on him that he can't just coast on his laurels uh, uh, on it and just uh, be put in the work, be humble, pl- play the game the right way, just acknowledge the fact that he has a bunch of talented uh, teammates around him that can take his at-bats if he screws around. You know, Dave Roberts is not going to play around with Yasiel Puig. So, again, is he going to be ahead of case at times and do something stupid? Yeah, but his talent can get you a, ch- a title. It's just, you know, his ranking is going to be all over the place. My ranking for him, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to have him ranked higher uh, higher in some of the power categories, but the reason why I'm I'm still putting him behind Buxton is because of the, uh, the stolen bases aren't going to be nearly as high. Yasiel Puig could steal 25 bags if he put the work in to actually know how to read a pitcher and execute. It's just that Puig is so impatient. He just runs all over the place. It's just like a, it's like you're watching like a, uh, a nine-year-old play baseball uh, when he's playing Little League. And he's just like, he's talented enough, but he like just starts ignoring some of the instructions that he's getting from his coaches. But anyway, um, Puig himself... Uh, you're looking at a 30 home run uh, type of season. I think he can drive in uh, 90 plus runs. Uh, you know, depending on where he hits in the batting order. If he hits it down in the bottom of the batting order again, uh, the runs probably aren't going to be there. But I'll, I'll pencil him in for uh, upwards of 80, but probably it's going to be in the 70 range. Uh, 280 batting average. That might be a bit on the aggressive side, but. You know, based off of what he was able to do in the second half of the year, that's easily feasible with Puig's level of talent. I, I, you know, again, this is just a guy who has the talent to be a top 15 player if he gets his head on straight. And, you know, it's hard to, like, ignore that. So, uh, I, uh, in terms of stolen bases, I got him around uh, 10, uh, 10 to 12. Uh, again, he's going to get caught stealing a bunch of times. Uh, so they're probably going to re- try to rein him in, too, on the stolen base front. Uh, just because he, he, again, if he could read a pitcher and put in the work to learn how to take the proper cues to steal bases, he would be a monster on the base paths. Because he has, he has the quickness to steal 25 to 30 bags. He has all the tools to be, again... I, I, you know, I, I know folks are, you guys are probably sick of me, like, ranting on Yasiel Puig. But honestly, Yasiel Puig has all the talent to be Mike Trout. It, it, he really does. It's just, he's such a head case. And, you know, this could be the year where it, it all comes together. I, I don't think it'll happen. But, you know, he has the talent to be as good as those top outfielders. He really does. It's just so frustrating watching him. So, uh, you know, for the Dodgers fans, good luck with that. But uh, we'll see. Number 66, another guy. Loads of talent. We'll see what he does. It is Ioannis Cespedes. La Potencia 
if you will. So, uh, Cespedes, here's the thing. The Mets, I don't understand the Mets because they bring back Jay Bruce after a career year where you would want him to go so you get the compensatory picks. Instead, they bring him back. I mean, well, actually, they wouldn't have gotten compensatory picks because they trade him. But, you know, you got the draft picks. You didn't have to pay him. They they decided to pay him. They don't pay Mustakis. They don't pay for Mustakis. They bring in Todd Frazier, who I think is at the end of his rope here because the Yankees, the the Yankees loved Todd Frazier. They loved Todd Frazier. He was a great clubhouse guy. Todd Frazier's bat is dead. I I, I you know it is hard seeing a guy just fall off the map completely hitting wise, but. Todd Frazier, since uh, leaving uh, leaving uh, leaving the Cincinnati Reds, his bat speed has fallen off so far that you know Chicago they got a good half out of uh, Todd Frazier, and then the next year was just terrible. Uh, you know Todd Frazier again, terrible bat, great clubhouse presence. It should be a phenomenal bench coach and a positional coach once he retires. I don't know what kind of protection the Mets are expecting uh, Cespedes to get when you're giving him Todd Frazier and you're bringing back Jay Bruce, who's probably going to be going back to being the Jay Bruce that was so inconsistent for years with the Reds that you couldn't count on him for weeks at a time because he just goes into these hot cold fronts. So, again... I don't know what the Mets' plan is, but Cespedes, as long as he can stay healthy, which is a big if, but as long as he can stay healthy, he's going to hit 30 bombs. So I think he's going to probably get a couple of DL stints here and there, but overall Cespedes is is going to uh, hit 30 bombs. Uh, the issue with the Mets is the fact that who's going to drive them in? Uh, I think the run total for Cespedes is going to be lower than other people, so I think his run total is realistically, you're probably looking at around 75 runs scored for Cespedes. His RBI totals aren't going to hit 100 because, again, the Mets offense stinks uh, unless uh, Rosario becomes a world beater in terms of getting on base uh, for the Mets so that he can drive, uh, so that Cespedes can drive people in. Uh, I think uh, Cespedes' RBI totals are going to be below 90, even with 30 bombs, uh, and Cespedes was probably going to hit around 280. Uh, you know, again, these are really good numbers. If Cespedes goes anywhere else, if the Mets trade him, uh, he, sh- he he immediately shoots up into the top uh, 40 uh, range if he gets put on a better team. The The problem with Cespedes, again, the Mets stink offensively. Uh, I, I don't know where, uh, you know, again, <laughs> Mets fans are, should be frustrated beyond belief with uh, their management, I, and Sandy Alderson, you know, he's been a trooper in restructuring that team and getting them back to some semblance of decency, but it's 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 really bordering on the edge of mediocrity in terms of uh, that lineup because it's inexcusable for the Mets with the media market that they have that they don't put in the capital to support that team the way that it's supposed to be run in a major media market. I mean, too many teams, because uh, the Mets spend money, but they don't spend enough money based off of how much money they generate as an operation. So, 
it's been enough time removed from the Madoff scandal for the Wilpons to actually pony up some cash. The Wilpons are busy with their real estate development projects across the city, so they really don't give a rat's ass about the Mets uh, and the fans. <laughs> they really don't. They they uh, they they take the SNY money. They they fund the team. They make their profits, and that's it. They do just enough to keep Mets fans from completely rebelling against the team. But I don't blame Mets fans when they don't buy season tickets for the Mets. And you got local New York sports talk radio ripping on them. I don't blame them one bit because, again, the Mets don't have an end game plan where they are envisioning themselves competing at any time soon. And this division is weak enough where the Marlins are on the fire sale, the Braves still stink, it's just the Nationals. You should be able to put yourself in a good wild card position. This Mets team should be able to win 85 games if they put the pieces in the right place and they make some signings to actually uh, put themselves in a good spot. You know, I, this team just seems to be constructed to not look bad. And, you know, to me, that's just, you know, trying to shoot for a, a team that can make it close to 500. You know, when you're a major market, that's embarrassing. So the Yankees did it for a year because they were trying to shed contracts and they they had a surprisingly awesome season by the young guys. So maybe the Mets are, are trying to copy off the Yankee model. Uh, we'll see. But, you know, I, I think there's a lot of ifs on the Mets team. But I, I think the only if that uh, uh, that doesn't apply is to that lineup. I think that lineup is still going to stink. Next up, with number 67, we got Rufned Odor. Uh, Rugi had a massively underperforming year with the Rangers to be kind. Uh, the batting average was just atrocious. I, I mean, he was, uh, I believe he still ended up under 240 in terms of batting average last year. But he has way too much talent to be that bad this year, uh, you know. People are still projecting with that batting average uh, that he's still going to be bad with the batting average. I, I think he's going to be better. I think he's he's going to get the batting average probably up about 250, 260, just working on it just because of how embarrassing it was uh, uh, at times last year, just because he was, he was under 200 for a massive portion of the season. I, I just can't see him slipping that far down the rabbit hole uh, for pulling himself out of it. So, uh, you know, Odor, second base, again, a, a position where a lot of guys uh, could be involved, but, you know, not too many guys I would trust. Odor's not someone I would count on the trust list, but he has potential to uh, hit 30 bombs uh, in that uh, second base spot. It's just that with uh, with Shoop, you have a better cons- uh chance of having consistency so that's why Shoop uh, gets the nod over Odor uh here by a couple of spots well but uh you know Odor still in a good hitter's park still has the potential to drive in 90 bomb uh, 90 runs uh this year and he can grab some bags so he's going to be in the low teens in terms of steals uh it's just a matter of where the batting average ends up for Odor so you know 30-15 pow- uh, potential with home runs and steals, you know you can't you can't you can't uh, sneeze at that. So again, I, I completely get it uh, if you're scared off by the batting average potential because it could certainly doom you uh, in terms of uh, 
uh, on base percentage leagues and batting average leagues uh, if things go south. Uh, I think he's going to be improving at the plate. It's just a matter of how uh, how much of an improvement we see over what he did last year. But uh, he has uh, potential to help you out in other categories, so it's not as egregious as a Billy Hamilton type of uh, situation where you're building your team around a deficiency in one uh, big area, a couple of big areas, just to get a benefit in one. So, uh, again, you get a little bit more flexibility with Odor, but someone to keep an eye out for. Number 68, Xander Bogertz, uh, shortstop for the Boston uh, uh, Boston Red Sox. So, Bogertz had a ton of hype last year, just did not live up to it in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I know bunch of people are down on him but I still see the uh, talent there at so shortstop it's uh it's a tricky spot so again I'm not running away from Bogarts because he he's got a great lineup around him it's just as long as he can get out of his own way and just play I stop focusing on trying to hit bombs if he can just get the batting average back up uh and not uh, try, uh, try to, because I think he was trying to do too much because of uh, of the shifting lineups and just not having Poppy around. I, I think a couple of guys were trying to do a little too much. I think he's one of those cases that were affected by it. Uh, so uh, now that uh, J.D. Martinez is signed, I, I think it's, it's going to only help uh, Boston's lineup, which is not a great thing uh, from a real-life baseball standpoint. But from a fantasy standpoint... Uh, uh, that definitely helps uh, in a case like Bogart. So uh, I look at him as a 90, 90 to 94 run scored kind of guy. Uh, home run count in the low teens. Uh, uh, maybe he gets a 20, but I think low teens is better uh, better assessment. I think he can drive in 90 runs just on the basis of uh, how, many, uh, uh, how many times Boston's going to be on base this year. And if you can get that average up to uh, uh, around 285 and uh, – the steals should take care of themselves. Uh, around, uh, he'll be around 15, 16. You know, you got yourself a hell of a player uh, in in terms of uh, fifth round pick. So, I I, uh, I mean, uh, fifth sixth round pick. So, I, I look at Bogarts as someone that you know, the shine has fallen off on him a bit, but he definitely has the potential of uh, doing some damage for you in your fantasy lineups. Uh, number sixty nine, you got. And it's uh, Gronk's favorite number, but uh, for us, we're, we're 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 staying out of Boston here, and we're we're gonna go with uh, Mr. McCutcheon. So Andrew McCutcheon, uh, now of the San Francisco Giants, uh, traded out there from the Pirates, who are going through their rebuild. Uh, so he's gonna be joining Evan Longoria in that uh, uh, with the changes to the San Francisco Giants. Uh, he gets a nice big ballpark to play around in. Uh, it's going to kill him from a defensive metric standpoint, but hey, in fantasy, we don't care about defense unless you're making errors. So if you're not getting to the ball, chances are you're not going to be charged with an error. So that doesn't really affect fantasy purposes. Uh, real life baseball, not necessarily a great idea. I, I'm, uh, you know, Kutch fits into a number of places. San Francisco is not one of them because, again, with an uh, outfielder with declining range, Moving into uh, <laughs> moving him into an even bigger outfield, I don't know. That sounds like it's a terrible idea. But hey, 
the Giants, uh, Giants are under mandate to try to win now. So uh, Brian Sabian got involved and uh, made some power moves and brought in McCutcheon and Longoria to kind of jumpstart uh, the Giants into thinking, uh, into remembering the fact that they're a winning organization. So uh, we'll see how it pans out. Uh, but I, I like uh, McCutcheon from a standpoint of if you got a league with doubles and triples, I think he's going to help you there just uh, with uh, this move because uh, he's going to have gaps to hit it into uh, from a power, strictly power only standpoint from home runs. Uh, you know, I don't see him as more than uh, 25 home runs this year. Uh, but, you know, again, I think the batting average is going to be in that 285, 290 range. Uh, I think he found a couple of things last year that worked for him as he's adjusting uh, to getting older. And I, I think what you saw from him last year is what you're going to see kind of going forward. It's just that it's going to be harder to hit the ball out, in my opinion, in San Francisco, uh, depending on the time of year. But I think in terms of other metrics like doubles and triples, uh, triples, uh, you know, uh, not necessarily he's that he's going to hit triples, but uh, I think he has uh, he's going to be able to hit the ball in places where he could get a triple uh, normally. I just think with his uh, legs, they're probably going to ha- ask him to throttle it down in terms of running the bases hard. Uh, but I think that also will help him from an RBI standpoint uh, by hitting into the gaps so often. So I think he's going to be uh, upwards of 95 RBIs, uh, possibly 100 uh, this year, uh, depending on uh, spots where he hits in the lineup. But I definitely think uh, from a power standpoint, uh, McCutcheon can still do some uh, good things for you. Uh, it's just that, you know, he's not going to be stealing the ton of bases uh if you get 10 stolen bases out of him, uh, that's that's a good number. Uh, I don't think that he's uh, going to be good for much more than that. But uh, uh, in terms of uh, being an offensive force, I definitely think uh, McCutcheon helps you in a number of areas. I think he's probably a better fit for points category leagues just because he's not going to strike out a ton either. So uh, he's a guy who can help you in different spots without hurting you uh, if you got a points league. All right, so moving on to number 70, we got Chris Archer, who is still with the Tampa Bay Rays. For how much longer? That remains to be the question. But, uh, you know, I I look at Archer and I'm saying to myself, he's going to get moved at some point. Uh, It's just a matter of where. Uh, He's going to strike out over 200 people. Last year, he just had a miserable year. But I think part of it was the fact that he was expecting to get traded didn't get traded and was kind of cranky about not getting moved. So, and when you're kind of down in ta- there in Tampa and you have no shot of doing anything remotely interesting, I think you, general malaise affects you there. So I'm penciling him in at 70, expecting him to get traded. Uh, it's just a matter of when. So the numbers are going to fluctuate a bit. Uh, he's going to be uh, over uh, 350 in terms of uh, the ERA. So probably going to be uh, a three six ERA. Uh, the whip's going to be a little north of one twenty, uh, but um, you know, overall, I think uh, the win loss record is just going to depend on how long he stays in Tampa. Uh, if he gets out of Tampa earlier, then you're going to look at a guy who's going to get uh, uh, wins in the teens. If he stays in Tampa for an extended period of time and he doesn't get moved until July. 
then you're looking at a guy who's probably going to be around uh, 13, 14 wins and have a bunch of losses just because he was on Tampa's roster for too long. So if you're in a league where wins count, then yeah, you might have a little bit of trepidation uh, grabbing Archer when he's not going to have great numbers in the first half, but I don't think he's going to kill you either. So, uh, it, you know, take for, for that what you will, but uh, uh, Chris Archer, I've got at 70. Number 71, we've got our first closer here in Kenley Jansen of the Dodgers. You know, I don't draft closers this early, but <clears throat> Jansen's a beast. Uh, you know, he's he's got the cutter working. He's got the fastball. He's not, you're not hitting him. Uh, so the ERA numbers are going to be uh, ridiculous as usual. It's just, and he's going to pile up saves. So from a Roto standpoint, yeah, this, uh, he's definitely going to help you. He's not going to hurt you. But, um, you know, I, I just, you know, again, with closers, you can get a bunch of closers for your Roto and head-to-head leagues. Uh, and build out your team that way rather than grabbing the top tier closer uh, and then trying to scramble to grab hitters and uh, starting pitchers. So, again, I wouldn't draft the closer this early. But <clears throat> in terms of value, I can see where people would want to grab Jansen even earlier than this. But uh, I'm just not a big proponent of doing the closer run uh, early on in drafts. So to me, you just kind of pencil yourself in for... Uh, hoping that the other uh, other areas of the draft uh, work out for your favor or someone follows you in on the closer run uh, to just draft a bunch of uh, pitchers and closers. So uh, moving on, number 72, Justin Turner, third base of the Los Angeles Dodgers. So uh, also known as Teen Wolf, uh, basically, because of the ridiculous uh, uh, goat beard that he's uh, been sporting and all the hair in the wrong places that you would probably want from a human being if you were a girl. So, uh, basically, uh, Justin Turner, former Met, now good. Uh, you know, he's just put together a career where, uh, you know, like a Daniel Murphy, where, where you kind of wrote him off and you're now in a spot where, I don't know, it's just... You kind of look at him as saying, all right, what are you going to do now? Uh, I mean, I, I just look at him as a guy where he's now established himself as a legitimate hitter in the majors. And, you know, whether or not he falls off, he has a good reputation with umpires. So he can work counts. He can put things in his favor. You know, people are saying he's going to fall off. I'm not necessarily in that camp. I just look at him as a guy where you've got a 300 batting average, uh, maybe 20 home runs, and uh, in terms of runs and RBIs, probably going to be both somewhere in the 80s. Uh, you know, you could you could rank him even higher than that. Uh, it's just I don't see him being a, a 330 hitter again in his career. I, you know. That's the only thing I have. He just had one of those years at the plate where he was raking everything. And I don't think he has that Joey Votto type of bat in terms of just being able to find hits where, you know, seeing eye hits uh, consistently. But 
he's a solid hitter. So he's he's gonna get on base and he's gonna get his hits. I just don't think the batting average is gonna be as crazy as it was last year because I mean there were times that he was just like torching the ball and you know again I don't think that's necessarily uh, where he's best suited uh, in terms of uh, ranking him. So I- I'm not gonna I'm not gonna uh, pencil him in there, but uh, I-, I do. I do see where uh, he uh, has a, a definitive value. So, again, uh, he's a solid pick. So that brings us to number 73, and that would be Chris Taylor, uh, also on the Dodgers. So he uh, fulfills a couple of positions. He's uh, can qualify for second base, shortstop, and outfield. Uh, Taylor is a young player. Uh, the issue with Taylor is going to be rotation, so it depends on how many at-bats he can get. Although, if he has a really good spring training, I, I think he can uh, definitely win that second base job full-time. Uh, just because Chase Utley's up there in years, I, I mean, it's just... Uh, they're, they're looking to bring him back just to be a mentor for these guys. But, I mean, again, uh, Taylor has a huge upside here. Uh, just uh, if he can get on base, he can hit... He can hit home runs. He can steal bases at the top of the order. He can do a lot of damage for you. Uh, so I, I look at Taylor as a guy who can get you 100 runs uh, easy if he plays uh, full-time for the Dodgers. It's just going to be a matter of uh, if he gets the playing time. And I think he will uh, with Dave Roberts because I, I think Dave Roberts acknowledges that uh, the Dodgers probably need a consistent uh, leadoff man. And I think Taylor's the best candidate to actually do so. So... Uh, I look at Taylor uh, to be a 2020 candidate here. Uh, the issue is uh, how many bats he gets and how what's the batting average. Uh, I think he's probably around a 275, 280 hitter. And again, 2020 potential and 100 runs that would actually put him higher than so many other guys on this list. It's just the fact that I have him at 73 because you can't guarantee those at bats. So, again, uh, it's one of those situations where it's going to be fluid, but I wouldn't be shocked to see Chris Taylor uh, quickly rising up uh, the draft ranks uh, if uh, if it starts looking like in training camp that he's going to be a full-time player at, at the start of uh, opening day. So, uh, moving on to number 74, we got Whit Merrifield, uh, second base of the Kansas City Royals. Uh Merrifield, another leadoff guy. Uh, potentially, he's got 2020 uh, uh, capabilities. I, I think the home runs are going to be the downfall there. I think he's probably closer to a 15, 16 home run year. But, uh, you know, he did have some stretches last season where maybe you can make a case of if he gets hot, uh, uh, he gets 2020. But, um, uh Issue with the Royals would be now that uh, Hosmer's gone, Moustakis, uh, you don't know where that situation's going to go, if he's going to come back for one year or not. Uh, I, I'm And Lorenzo Cain's gone. I'm not sold on Merrifield being able to score anywhere close to 100 runs. I think he's probably closer to uh, uh, 90 maybe in a good year where he gets driven in by someone that surprises us on the Royals. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I got him at, I got him as a guy where, you know, if you're looking for someone to get you some decent steals, 
and you haven't figured out what your second base menu situation is yet, uh, this is where you know a Jason Kipnis would have fit in if Kipnis uh, could have stayed healthy last year. So uh, Merrifield gets the benefit of the doubt here, so he slides in uh, at number seventy-four. Uh, I, I just look at him as a you know in the middle field, middle infield spot. It's uh, not going to hurt you in a ton of areas. Uh, not going to be a plus in those areas either. It's just a matter of uh, how how much the offense around him does uh, compared to what uh, uh, his uh, capabilities are. Because uh, you know he can he can do some damage. It's just that he's going to need some help from his teammates to actually get the runs up so he uh, finishes up uh, uh, justifying his ranking here. All right, that brings us to number 75, Ryan Braun, outfielder for the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, Braun is an interesting case because he's definitely going to be on the downside of his career. Uh, He's picking up more injuries. I can see the Brewers giving him more. I can can buy the story of the Brewers moving him to first base to make less, uh, to take the pressure off of him playing every day. And giving him an easier assignment, uh, you know, it's just that transitioning to first is not as easy as everyone makes it sound to be. So uh, I'll be pleasantly surprised if this works out well, where he gets the first base eligibility uh, quickly and is still able to put up uh, really good power numbers. I look at him more as a 260, 270 hitter going forward now, uh, just because. Uh, even with the injury last year, to me, he was already showing signs of uh, significant regression. I don't think he's a 30-plus home run hitter anymore. I think he's probably, uh, those days are gone. I think he's probably closer to uh, tapping out around 28 home runs. Uh, you know, depending on, again, the number of games he plays, uh, I think he's, you can get him around uh, 500 at-bats. So you're looking at somewhere around uh, 80 runs scored. Uh, Maybe he gets uh, uh, pretty close to 80 RBIs. I I just look at it and saying, I I have concerns that Ryan Braun's going to spend some time on the DL again this year. Uh, So I don't want to be too optimistic with him. It's just that when he's there in the lineup, I think he can help you. Uh, it's just I'm also seeing a potential where he gets at number 75 because he can also get your first base eligibility and he still can swipe some bags. So, you know, again, first base, if he can get that eligibility, if the stories are true and he gets eligibility, this is what kind of justifies the ranking. If he doesn't get the first base bin eligibility, then you're going to have to slide them down in the rankings here. But uh, uh, like I said, this was kind of looking at this from a need standpoint. If you haven't grabbed first baseman yet, uh, this is where you're really going to start seeing uh, some drop-off happening. So, uh, again, uh, tread with some caution here with uh, Braun. You're going to have to watch to see how spring training goes uh, to see if uh, the first base uh, story is going to happen. So moving on to number 76, we have Tommy Pham of uh, the St. Louis Cardinals outfielder. Uh, Pham is a 
interesting character because you know I I, I I can see where fam can bury you in terms of being a bust, but I, I look at it from the standpoint of he's still not in his thirties yet. He's he has a he has a good pop in his bat. He can steal bags. The issue is the fact that he's got a degenerative uh, degenerative eye condition, so he's never going to be an elite hitter. Uh, because of that. I mean, he works on it every day. I mean, it's not for lack of effort. It's just the fact that he has a disability and he acknowledges it and he's working on it. It's just that I can never see him being more than a 275-280 hitter. That's why he's down here. But he has the potential to be... I think he has the potential to be a 30-30 guy if he had eyesight like everybody else. The fact that he doesn't and the fact that he can still play at a major league level is an incredibly impressive story. Uh, I mean, it's just the fact that he has a limited upside because of the eyesight issue. So I pencil him in more for a 2020 type of season uh, where he gets, uh, yeah, where he's hitting closer to the top of the Cardinals lineup. So he benefits more from runs in an RBI perspective. Although I could see him sliding down and protecting some guys uh, in the five hole, he he has good talent. It's just, uh, you know, I think it's probably best suited for him to be at the top of the order. That way, he's more likely to be seeing fastballs uh, and uh, just uh, trying to uh, st- uh, stay off of the breaking pitches as best he can. So, again, Fam could be a bust. I I just look at it as like you know when a guy is working that hard. Uh, he has potential to uh, figure out a way of uh, getting the job done. So I, I look at Fam as a guy where, you know, if I'm looking for starting to look for uh, extra bats and I'm trying to fill out spots of guys who can be kind of utility players and fill in uh, different counting stats. And, and uh, particularly, this is, uh, I'm thinking more along the lines of Roto, uh, where you can fill up the counting stats in terms of. Uh, uh, stolen bases and runs scored. I, I kind of like Tommy Pham here uh, at 76. 77, uh, moving on, we got Craig Kimbrell for uh, the Boston Red Sox. Uh, closer, obviously. You know, he's going to be throwing gas. I, I mean, there's not much else to say. It. Uh, it's just the fact that, again, I'm not one of those people to be drafting uh, closers this early. So that's why he's uh, further back on my list and probably most other uh, rankings, but again, uh, I think you can get a number of closers uh, towards the later rounds of the draft that even though they're not going to be elite closers, they're still going to cap the saves still count the same as if it's coming from an elite closer. And if they're getting a save, that means that they're probably not giving up runs. So again, it's just, you're mitigating the blown save that more than anything else. Number 78, we got Jose Quintana of the Chicago Cubs, starting pitcher. Uh, now we're starting to get into uh, the pitchers where, you know, do you go with uh, upside or you go with uh, what they can do? Uh, in terms of uh, Quintana, you're not going to get a lot of flashy uh, stuff. I mean, it's just you're going to get counting stats, so... It's about a 350, uh, 3.5 ERA. Uh, 
he's going to get you just under a strikeout an inning. Uh, but you know, he's going to, he's going to be what is now considered a workhorse today by the ridiculous standards of teams pulling uh, starters too early. He's still going to be pitching over 200 innings. So you're going to get over 200 strikeouts. And the fact that he's going to be an everyday starter, he's still going to be making a bunch of starts. So he's going to get over 200 innings pitched. It's just that he's not going to go deep because of, uh, the way the Cubs operate, uh, with their pitching staff. So You'll have the starts. It's just my uh, warning to you is that if you're going by quality starts, you, this is where you're going to start feeling the the pinch of players getting pulled too early. Uh, so Quintana is one of those candidates that you could be worried about just from the standpoint of he's he's a he's a guy I could see Joe Madden pulling with f- five. <laughs> Five and two thirds innings pitch, and he's only given up one one run or one or two runs, and he he gets pulled because he's over a hundred and eight pitches. Uh, you know, it's just that's where we are with the game today. It's frustrating, but you know, it is what it is. So uh, Quintana, it's not going to hurt you in your pitching staff. So uh, that's a to me, he's a solid pickup uh, for my pitching staff. It's just my concern would be, you know, he's. One of those guys who you probably get screwed on uh, little things like uh, getting pulled one or two outs before getting a quality start registered. Next up, we've got Aaron Nola at number 79. Uh, Nola, he has uh, uh, good stuff. I wouldn't call it great stuff, uh, but, you know, he's not on a good team. So, uh, and it's a, he's in a, a pitcher's ballpark, so that hurts him. But I think Nola uh, still has potential to be a sub-3-5 ERA type of pitcher. Uh, it's just that, you know, again, with the way Major League teams are operating, the Phillies aren't looking to contend. They're looking to build a solid a team. So I, I look at them as a team that's going to, again, limit Nola's starts. Uh, pull him if he's pitch count is getting high. So again, uh, I don't see him topping 200 innings pitched, and I don't see him uh, striking out 200 uh, plus, uh, got uh, getting 200 plus Ks either. Just because of the fact that uh, you know he has good stuff, he he has swing and miss stuff. It's just you know he's not a uh, 10K per nine guy. He's he's a, probably around uh, a nine 9k uh, per nine innings kind of guy so we'll get a k per inning it's just that you know again I don't see the Phillies uh, throwing him out there uh, for too many starts where he's throwing extended pitches and he's gonna get his uh, innings count up to 200 I think the uh, Phillies are probably going to limit him to about 180 innings uh, just to protect their investment so uh, that's the issue with Nola is that when you get towards the end of the season, uh, that can hamper your squad. Because if you're counting on him to be one of your top pitchers, uh, you could get screwed that way. But, you know, again, that's thinking way down the road. So for right now, Aaron Nola is a solid pick at 79. Uh, Later on in the season, as you get the second half, then you may need to start uh, rethinking things. Moving on. At number 80, we have Travis Shaw, third baseman for the Milwaukee Brewers. So, uh, Shaw uh, broke out last year in a big way. Boston 
<laughs> has to be kicking themselves on giving up on Travis Shaw too early in favor of the much, much ballyhooed uh, uh, Pablo Sandoval experiment, which failed miserably uh, as uh, Pe- Kung Fu Panda almost ate himself out of the league before getting shipped back to the Giants. Uh, Shaw, you know, he's not going to have uh, gaudy stats. He's just going to be a workmanlike third baseman. Uh, just kind of what you plug in and uh, see if he can hit some bombs for you. So uh, you're going to get around a 260 average, uh, but the power is there. So uh, you're going to see somewhere around 28 to 30 home runs. Uh, you know, run scored isn't going to be that huge because he's just not that kind of hitter where he's going to be hitting tons of doubles and other extra base hits uh, outside of a home run. So uh, he's not going to go crazy there. Uh, doesn't have great speed. So, I mean, a stolen base category, you're definitely going to be in single digits. Uh, but in terms of RBIs, I think the Brewers are going to be in a good spot because of Kane and Yelich playing well off of each other. So I think Travis Shaw is going to be the beneficiary of RBI opportunities. So I look at him as a guy who can get uh, 90 RBIs uh, and you can pencil him in uh, there. So uh, that uh, would be where normally uh, Moustakis uh, would be. So uh, to me, I have Travis Shaw in the Moustakis spot, uh, namely because Mike Moustakis still is uh, not signed yet. So, you know, if he goes back to the Royals, uh, you know, I could see myself uh, shifting the rankings again uh, and putting uh, Moose a little bit higher up. But for right now, uh, we've got Travis Shaw at number 80. Number 81, we've got someone with upside potential. But I, I definitely like uh, where he's uh, trending, and that is uh, Rafael Devers of the Red Sox, third baseman. Uh, the only question with Devers is uh, the at-bats. Uh, just because he's a young guy, uh, you know, Boston has talent that they can plug in in different spots. So, you know, it depends on just what he's able to do uh, starting out the game. If he gets off to a slow start, then you got some cause from concern. But I think he should be just fine. I look at him as a, about a 280-290 type hitter. Uh, about 20... I'd say anywhere around 23 to 27 home runs. And about 80 RBIs. Uh, should be a solid uh, fit in terms of uh, what you're getting out of the third base spot. Uh, you know, Again, the run scored is going to be the difference here. Uh, if uh, he can get in a decent spot in Boston's lineup, I, I think he could be probably around an 80-85 run scored kind of guy. Uh, again, the power's there. Uh, I think he's going to have a, bat- a better batting average than Shaw. It's just Shaw got the nod because I think uh, Shaw is more likely to hit 30 home runs. Devers has the possibility. It's just I look at him as mid-20s uh, type of uh uh, power uh, more or less, not necessarily uh, thirty plus. So uh, we'll we'll see how it goes. But uh, uh, you know, again, these are alternatives to Mustakis because uh, you know that situation has kind of uh, gotten a bit chilly there. So uh, we'll see uh, where uh, things lie if it changes in the next week or so. Number eighty-two, uh, we've got. Uh, 
our second catcher, Buster Posey, uh, you know, longtime stalwart. Uh, you know, times were rough for Buster last year, uh, to be kind. He, you know, he just did not have the numbers. I think he bounces back this year, but I'm not necessarily uh, going to uh, forgive him completely for last year because, again, he's got a hit for average and. You know, he's not going to get a ton of power, but I, I think the average comes back and he gets you somewhere in the teens in terms of home runs. Uh, it's just, you know, you're going to be relying on him for batting average and to not kill you in the catcher spot, which is why he's ranked up here. You know, as a whole, the catchers are just all over the place. Uh, they were last year. I expect more of the same this year. Uh, it's just. Again, you know, this is like kind of one of those picks where, you know, I, I'm not if I'm if I'm having if I find myself having to select Buster Posey because I'm that afraid of the catcher spot dooming the rest of the lineup, then I might have like just uh, made a mistake somewhere earlier in the draft uh, that I I, I want to do over on and I, I try to protect the uh, the catcher spot uh, by uh, solidifying it with uh, someone like. Uh, uh, Posey just to make sure that the batting average uh, and a couple of the other counting stats are uh, not too badly affected by a catcher who can't really hit. But, you know, uh, we'll see. I, I mean, I think some of the additions the Giants made should also help uh, Posey in terms of the RBI department. I, I just don't see him being a monster, uh, a monster in terms of productivity. I just think you know, decent enough across the board, and he won't hurt you in the catching spot, which is what a lot of catchers can do this year because, uh, you know, there's just so much uncertainty about who's going to be a decent enough performing catcher offensively uh, that it doesn't tank your batting average uh, somewhere. So uh, take from that what you will. Number 83, James Paxton, uh, Seattle Mariners starting pitcher. You know, Paxton has all the stuff to be a number one. It's just a matter of can he stay healthy. Uh, as a left-hander, he can throw gas. You know, I like Paxton as a pitcher. It's just a matter of can he stay healthy or not, uh, or not. Because, you know, overall he has the stuff to be a number one and to strike out 200 guys. I don't see him striking out 200 guys. It's just uh, from an innings pitch standpoint, uh, you know, he's probably going to be cap, cap out around 185, 190. So with that in mind, you know, he's going to be just uh, under the 200 strikeout threshold, but I, I see him with the capability of being around a 3.6 pitcher, a 3.6 ERA pitcher, uh, whip around a 1.19, so you get under 1.2 whip. You know, he has the potential. It's just a matter of can he stay healthy, and because when he gets when he gets banged up, his mechanics go by the wayside, so... Uh, that is uh, the issue you run into with him. Next up, we've got Dallas Keuchel, or as I tend to ca- uh, call him, Cuchelle. But, uh, you know, Keuchel, uh, you know, he's a uh, he's a pitcher who is not going to wow you in a strikeout category. He's just going to keep the ERA down, hopefully, and... Uh, you know, 
yeah, yeah. Basically, you're hoping that he has he's his control is on point because when his control is not on point, basically that's when things can go south real fast, as we saw two years ago. So uh, you know you're going from a guy three years ago when the Cy Young two years ago was absolutely horrible to the point where managers such as myself had to drop him just to save your ERA and to last year where he rebounds and is part of a World Series winning team. Uh, you know, I think uh, uh, Keuchel uh, is uh, closer to the uh, the guy who pitched two out of the three years rather than the one aberration year where he just could not hit the broad side of a, a bus uh, at certain, uh, certain uh, outings. So, again... Uh, Control is the key issue because he can't really strike out too many guys. Uh, Keiko's going to be pitching close to 200 innings, but in terms of strikeouts, uh, if you're getting over 170, that's that's about uh, as good as he's ever going to get you. I, I think uh, 170 might be pushing it for him in terms of projection of his strikeouts. But, you know, win, win-loss record, he's going to be in a good spot because of Houston's lineup. Uh, so he's going to be around 16 to 18 wins. Uh, but... You know, again, it depends on uh, how many runs he gives up uh, in terms of uh, what he does. But uh, I, I look at him, he's uh, probably going to be around a 3-3 three, three, three ERA, uh, and the whip is going to be below 1.15. But the reason why I have him ranked below some of the other pitchers is, again, the strikeouts aren't there. And when you're drafting pitchers uh, this early, yeah, and it's uh, still not uh, the uh, when you're not past round ten yet. You're looking at the pitchers who are going to get you uh, at least a nine K per inning ratio or higher. So that at least that's my thought process of uh, getting pitchers because uh, at that point those pitchers are still the ones who are going to have the sub four ERA. So you're trying to uh, take advantage of where you can uh, when you get those guys. So Cucelli, uh you know not. A bad pick. It's just one where, you know, unless you got a bunch of studs who are striking out people, uh, he's going to hurt you in the strikeout category. And I think there are better options. But if you already were stacked with pitchers and you're skewing hitting, I guess you can grab Keiko. Uh, it's just, you know, again, I think there are a couple other pitchers that could probably. Uh, benefit you uh, in some ways where you don't uh, get yourself uh, kind of caught up. And one of them being Masahiro Tanaka. I mean, you know, you always worry about Tanaka staying healthy with that forearm. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, uh, he made it through last season. Uh, and, you know, he, he pitched well uh, in the playoffs for the Yankees uh, for the most part. So uh, you got to give Tanaka the benefit of the doubt that he, he knows his body and he can manage it. So hopefully you don't see the dead arm effect that usually plagues Tanaka where he's afraid to throw certain pitches because his arm isn't feeling great. Because when he, uh, when he gets predictable and he can't throw his breaking stuff, that's when his fastball gets uh, lit up like a Christmas tree. So... Uh, you're looking for Tanaka to be sub three, uh, 3.5 ERA, uh, win loss record. Uh, you know, he's probably going to be around, uh, 15 to 17 wins, uh, just cause I see the Yankees, 
uh, managing his starts and just uh, trying to make sure he doesn't pitch over 200 innings because at the end of the day, the Yankees are going to be trying to uh, uh, get themselves into the World Series. So I, from my standpoint, they're going to try to preserve Tanaka as much as possible. And so they are going to have him uh, skip some starts. They're going to use their uh, rotation depth just to keep sliding guys in. So even though the Yankees don't have a true number one starter yet, uh, you know, Tanaka is going to function as that 2A type pitcher because I think he's really a number two starter. Uh, But, you know, there are only so many stud number one uh, aces in the league. And, uh, you know, those guys are hard to come by. Uh, you know, I know some people are thinking that Severino can develop into that guy. Uh, I'm I'm still not sold on Severino being the true ace of the Yankee staff. I think he has another year to go to truly uh, cement himself in that fashion. But, you know, Tanaka, again, uh, should uh, be able to uh, kind of help uh, mitigate uh, some of the issues that you're going to see with the Yankees rotation not having a true number one. Number 86, uh, we got Garrett Cole. So the guy the Yankees were trying to bring in in the offseason and failed to do so before uh, Houston swooped in and made the trade with the Pirates. So Cole, you know, he's not going to wow you with his stats, but he is going to be effective. Uh in terms of strikeouts, I think his uh, ratio is going to be somewhere in that 9.5 uh, uh, per 9 inning range. Uh, the issue I see with Cole is not the fact that he can strike guys out. It's the fact that you know the ERA has been ballooning up a bit. And moving from the NL to the AL usually causes some issues. So I kind of look at that as a situation where uh, you can see... Uh, instances where Cole's going to have months where he's just going to struggle. So I think his ERA is going to be closer to uh, 3.8, but I think he gets buoyed by the fact that uh, on Houston, he's going to get a ton of wins. Uh, so, I, And he's a kind of a workhorse uh, in a way where yeah, I think uh, other guys, like uh, they're going to try to take uh, some pressure off of Verlander uh, pitching so many innings, so I think uh, Cole uh, fills in that role with uh, getting some longer starts. So I, I think you know quality starts probably are, are going to be taking a little bit of a dip, but the win total should be uh, creeping up a bit. So I think he's going to be around 17 wins this year, which I think Houston fans will take uh, just to solidify that uh, starting rotation, uh, which had a whole uh, bunch of question marks uh, heading into the postseason, and it you know. It didn't end up biting him in the ass so because uh, those guys stepped up. But long-term, they needed somebody like Cole to kind of help uh, solidify the pitching staff. Number 87, Trey Mancini of the Baltimore Orioles outfield. So Mancini has sneaky power where, you know, he's got, he's got, he's, you know, from a, a frame standpoint, he's got, he's got a good frame. He's, he's got a, a nice swing, you know, it really depends on the at-bats he's getting. So uh, I, I kind of look at Mancini as a sleeper candidate where uh, Mancini is able to uh, 
essentially he he can uh, get you around uh, 27 to 30 home runs and he can bat in 90 plus RBIs. Uh, you know, I, I think he's going to get a lot of play in terms of uh, where he's going to be in the, the O's organization just because the O's are going to be out of it uh, pretty early this year unless a lot of things go in their favor, and I just don't see it happening. So, uh, you know, he's a, he's got a... He's got a nice, uh, nice enough swing where I think he's he's gonna be able to uh, hit for power uh, in Baltimore and just have a very nice, comfortable season. Uh, be one of those useful utility bats or uh, uh, third outfielder uh, in your lineup, and he's he's gonna he's gonna drive in some runs for you. So again, uh, not gonna steal any bags, but uh, he is gonna basically. Uh, be uh, providing some good contributions for your team. So uh, I, I like Mancini. Uh, he's uh, he's uh, ranked uh, uh, outside the top 100 on a lot of boards, but I have him in there just because I, I would be targeting him as a nice uh, uh, additional bat and just grab him uh, before uh, someone else uh, in your uh, draft uh, decides to snag him. Number 88. Shohei Otani, and this is going to get into one of my biggest pet peeves for fantasy baseball this year. So Shohei Otani as a pitcher. Yes, that is correct. Shohei Otani pitcher. You're going to need to be very careful with drafting Otani because instead of actually paying attention uh, to the fact that he was going to play both ways, a whole bunch of websites, and uh, so that applies to ESPN and Yahoo!, still have Otani classified as both a hitter and pitcher as two separate people when it's the same guy. So when you draft them, you're only picking up one aspect. So you got to draft uh, draft him twice if you want to get him for hitting as well because the counting stats are not going to work. The only site that seems to have actually put in the work to uh, properly allocate stats for uh uh, players playing both ways is CBS, but uh, you know I, you know I I ripped on Yahoo and ESPN for both being lazy as hell with regards to not recoding the program to actually allow for Otani's at bats to count for uh, something in the game. Uh, you know because I don't think he's going to do a whole lot at the plate, but as a pitcher he's going to be a solid pitcher uh, in my opinion just off of. The metrics of what he has, you know, I think he can put up some decent numbers uh, for teams because uh, you're looking at a guy who can uh, strike out uh, nine uh, nine per nine innings. So, you know, depending on how many innings the Angels give him a run on, uh, there's a chance he uh, pitches 180 innings. So, again, you're looking at a guy who can get you 180 strikeouts. And usually with Japanese pitchers, uh, at least the first year, it's harder for teams to pick up on how their delivery mechanics work. So you get a little bit of added bump in terms of the ERA so and whip. So I think he's going to be a sub-3-5 pitcher. And uh, with the whip somewhere around uh, 1.2, maybe less. But uh, uh, the ERA is going to be lower. So the reason why I have 
still have him ranked lower than some of the other pitchers is the fact that, uh, you know, he's probably not going to be pitching uh, much more than 180. I think the Angels going to cap him out at 180, just learning from the uh, issues of Japanese pitchers in the past uh, since they're not used to uh, pitching as often in the majors because the Japanese pitchers uh, abroad, uh, back home, uh, back in Japan, are only pitching once a week and, you know, you, you give every five days in the, the major. So uh, that does, uh, the lack of rest does make a difference uh, cumulatively over the season. Moving on to number 89, we got Moose. So Mike Moustakis, who is still unsigned uh, by major league teams as of uh, as of today, uh, you know, he's, he's going to be a third baseman. So, but, you know, he, he can serve a number of roles on a number of teams. Uh, you know, I would love for the Yankees to sign him. To it's just the fact that uh, the Yankees are trying so hard to stay under that luxury tax that they don't want to have the payroll exceed two hundred million. Otherwise, uh, Mustakis would have been in camp already. Uh, just the asking price. Uh, he's looking for at least uh, six to seven uh, in in terms of. Just even a one-year rental. Uh, now he's uh, looking for at least uh, get getting a, a comparable money. Where so I mean, Musaka is probably going to have to sell for somewhere around seven or eight mil for one year. Uh, even though he's looking for ten mil a year, uh, you know, again the Yankees aren't going to pay that because uh, actually I, I said two hundred million for the luxury tax threshold it's actually even less this year so it's on 197 uh but yeah i i just don't see the yankees uh bringing in mustakis unless they can somehow get rid of ellsbury's contract and with ellsbury's no trade clause you know again you're likely looking at a scenario where mustakis is going to be on the royals where again if he goes back to the royals you know i i probably slot him in ahead of uh uh shaw and deaver's it's just until we can get a handle on exactly where Mustakis ends up, uh, you know, there's still a possibility that another team uh, gets involved there. So uh, more to come uh, on that as uh, we go along further in spring training. Number 90, another guy who's unsigned. Uh, Jake Arrieta, starting pitcher. Scott Boris client. Uh, trying to get a long-term deal, but the fact that he isn't signed yet and he's not in spring training Getting himself in playing shape has me a little skittish. Uh, you know, Arietta has more than enough capability of getting himself in a good spot. It's just a matter of uh, can he uh, uh, stay healthy and uh, just execute his pitches, which was a struggle at times uh, last year. Again, though, uh, with Arietta, you know, as long as he can... You know, with uh, the delay in getting his long-term deal, if he if he doesn't act all fat and happy, uh, you're going to get a solid starter. Uh, it's just a matter of where he ends up in terms of uh, the numbers. Uh, but, you know, I, I still think he, he's got a ton of talent. It's just a matter of where he ends up and, you know, pitching dynamics, the ballpark. It's going to affect him uh, to a degree. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I definitely think there's... Uh, uh, there's some upside with the pick. There's also a way he can get burned too if he gets too greedy and ends up in uh, 
uh, worse uh, pitching dimensions than uh, uh, what you would have gotten in uh, Wrigley. But Wrigley is a pretty uh, unfriendly spot to pitchers, uh, depending on time of year. So, again, ballpark dynamics should be a plus for him wherever he ends up. Uh, although there are some spots where it could definitely get dicey for him. So, uh, moving on to number 91. We have Domingo Santana. He is currently with the Milwaukee Brewers, but this is the interesting scenario. Because of the fact that Yelich and Lorenzo Cain were picked up, he would technically be the odd man out in terms of the Brewers unless Ryan Braun goes into first base. So I mentioned Santana because, again, he's sliding down the rankings because of the offseason moves the Brewers made. Now, in terms of talent, he's got a, a 25 home run, uh, a 25 to 30 home run potential with about a 275-280 bat. So he has the ability to put up numbers. It's just a matter of is he going to get the at bats? Uh, the question is, you know, what uh, happens in spring training? Because I have him right now as 91, but he could easily slide f- out of. Uh, out of the 100s and into the 200 range if if uh, this uh, turns into a situation where he ends up having to platoon uh, and he doesn't get the at-bats and he's not a regular starter. So uh, you have to kind of stay tuned with uh, Santana. He has the, he has all the capabilities of being a starter in this league. It's just a matter of because of the offseason move by the Brewers, now we're in a spot where you kind of have to play wait and see to uh, see how uh, the Brewers are uh, setting up uh, in spring training to make sure that uh, you don't get caught. Moving on to number 92. Uh, and, you know, this is a uh, pretty fall, far fall from grace, but uh, we have Miguel Cabrera. And, you know, it it's tough ranking Cabrera this low, but, you know, much... Like uh, where we are with uh, Albert Pujols, uh, you, you know, it's it's that time where you got to start being realistic with, you know, what the guy has done in the past to what he is now. And, you know, what we have now is the fact that uh, at the end of the day, uh, Miguel Cabrera is no longer the guy that you're, you're looking at in terms of uh, being... Uh, the the first round pick guaranteed guy uh he's more along the lines of a you know somewhere in the ballpark range of a 270 280 hitter uh get you around 20 to 25 home runs uh the strikeouts are going to add up he can't move anymore so it's harder for him to get doubles you know again He's going to be relying on uh, getting bombs, and I'm not sold on him being able to hit it out of the park uh, consistently unless he it goes down the, ra- the path that Albert Pujols did and strictly concentrate on hitting homers. I don't think Cabrera has reached that level of acceptance yet with his game, so that's where I'm struggling with uh, kind of rating Cabrera because I, I have a dramatic drop-off in his game. It's just, you know, it's one of those uh, issues where, you know, at some point it's the wheels got to fall off 
I'm just not entirely sure when uh, it's going to fall off completely. So, uh, you know, Cabrera is going to put up numbers. It's just, it's not going to be great numbers. And, you know, again, there are other younger players that can start sliding into lineups that can uh, help you in the immediate short term. So I I just would say stay away. Uh, Next up, number 93, uh, another guy that, you know, has put up numbers over the years and is getting up there in age. It's uh, Adrian Beltre, uh, you know, not a 300 hitter. Get you maybe up to 280. You know, in terms of bombs, uh, you're looking low 20s. Uh, RBI numbers, you know, could end up... uh, I wouldn't be shocked at all if his RBI numbers uh, took a dip as well, just because the Rangers are not really going to be contenders this year. I think they may even uh, give uh, him more time off just so they can evaluate the younger players. So, again, it's going to depend on how many at-bats he's getting. Uh, so, if he doesn't crack 80 RBIs, I wouldn't be shocked because of the fact that the Rangers could be looking to try to uh, get some uh, more youth, uh, youth, uh, youthful players uh, at-bats. So, uh, that's going to impact Beltre's numbers. Number 94, Kyle Seeger. You know, Kyle has decent uh, offensive numbers. It's just nothing about him uh, stands out. And because of that, you know, he kind of slid further and further down in the rankings. He's not a 30 home run guy. He's a 25 home run guy. Uh, it's just the counting numbers with uh, Seeger. it just comes in spurts. So uh, he'll have prolonged stretches of just putting up meh numbers. Uh, like nothing, nothing that's going to, uh, move the needle in terms of uh, production. Uh, he's not going to kill you uh, with uh, just an abysmal week, but he's not going to s- carry your team on his back either. Uh, so it's just one of those guys where, from a roto perspective, you know you're you're looking at his numbers and it's like, okay, I I can work with him, even though he doesn't get stolen bases. Uh, from a head to head standpoint. He's one of those guys you're going to be constantly looking at throughout the season and wondering, I wonder if I can upgrade this guy because, you know, he's not going to do a ton for you uh, in terms of the offensive categories. It's just that he's not going to hurt you uh, there either, and he plays at a premium spot at third base. So uh, there's that. It's just that there are other options that I've already suggested at at third that I would rather have over Seager. It's just I probably should have ranked – him ahead of Beltre, uh, just because I think the numbers will still be ahead of Beltre. Uh, but, you know, maybe uh, Adrian surprises me and he uh, has a really hot month. It's just that Seeger is just what he is. Uh, he's just going to be uh, putting up numbers consistently. It's just not going to be anything that's uh, eye, uh, eye-popping. So, moving on, Adam Jones, uh, outfielder for the Baltimore Orioles. You know, the issue with this is just the O's and Buck Showalter have been insisting on putting him uh, at the top of the order, and he's not a leadoff guy, you know, and it's been proven that he's not a leadoff guy, but they keep doing it. Uh, So, again, his numbers have suffered over the years just because he's at the top of the order instead of being more middle lineup kind of guy. I'm not big fan of Jones at this point just because of the fact that 
He's going to be around a 270 average, and he's not walking a ton. So, again, the power numbers, yeah, he's going to hit over 25 home runs, but the RBIs aren't there because he's hitting uh, he's hitting either in a one-hole or a two-hole. So it just, just kills his RBI numbers. Uh, so instead of being in the 80s and 90s, he's going to be in the 70s. And, again, he's not scoring a ton of runs because he's not really a huge base stealer. So, Again, it's just one of those guys where it's just like, ugh, you know, Dozier can get away with it because Dozier can hit over 30 home runs and he can steal more bags than Adam Jones can. It's just, you know, because of where he's slotted positionally in the, in the batting order, uh, it just kills his value. So uh, I've got uh, Jones at 95. If things change and the O's find a leadoff hitter that they can work with and Jones could slide down into the three hole and the five hole that uh, that changes the outlook on this ranking uh, quite a bit but uh, as of right now uh, I, I have a tough time uh, placing Jones any higher than this uh, 96 Joey Gallo uh, Texas Rangers uh, you know he can play in the outfield uh, I think he should have some eligibility in the infield uh, depending on your league format it's going to vary just because uh, Gallo was uh Plugging uh, was being plugged in a couple of different spots. Gallo is just a one-dimensional player, but he can hit bombs. I mean, he's going to kill you with batting average. He's going to be around 220 in in terms of the batting average, but you know he's going to strike out 50% of his at bats, if not more. Uh, but he wants to. Uh, he he just wants to get uh, home run, so he's only playing for one outcome. Uh, so he's not walking a ton. Uh, batting average will kill you. So again, tread with caution. Uh, points leagues is where Gallo is best suited for. Even though the strikeouts will hurt you, uh, he is going to uh, drive in runs on Texas in Texas's lineup because uh, he should be getting. Uh, anywhere from 450 to 500 at-bats. But again, he has 40 home run capabilities if he gets those 450 at-bats. You know, and it could go higher than that. It's just he's going to strike out a ton. So, uh, you know, I've got him ranked higher than uh, uh, Chris Davis uh, of the O's uh, just because, you know, again, this is what Chris Davis would normally do. It's just Joey Gallo's younger, and you're getting – uh, some uh, bat speed uh, with the youth. So, again, uh, Gallo's a possibility here if you're looking for power numbers. But just understand with the caveat, he's going to hurt you in a big way uh, for uh, average and on-base percentage. But, uh, you know, OBP won't be as bad as average because at least he'll get some walks to at least help you somewhat. But... Uh, Average-wise, yeah, it's going to hurt. So uh, just be forewarned. Moving on, at number 97, we have Eddie Rosario of the Minnesota Twins outfield. Uh, You know, again, Rosario has a ton of ability. Uh, It's just one of those where, depending on how he develops, uh, I've seen him ranked outside the top 100. So... For me, pegging him in 97, I still think I'm underrating him. 
but I'm kind of basing this off of the fact that uh, just the mock drafts and the initial rating analysis says that uh, he's not going to put up uh, huge numbers, but I look at him in terms of uh, the metrics and the fan graphs, and I'm saying, yeah, this is a guy who can hit 30 bombs and uh, get you anywhere from 90 to 100 RBIs. You know, he could be easily ranked in the 70s. I got him down to 97 just because the average rank has him outside uh, the top 125. So take for, uh, for that what you will. But in terms of projections, you know, again, 30 home runs, 90 to 100 RBIs, and a 280 batting average, that's uh, putting it in the 70 range uh, uh, with Cespeda. So, again, you can you can take for that what you will. It's just uh, I, I'm just looking at it as if you're filling up on depth guys that are going to be sleepers, Rosario's a, a guy I would uh, hone in on just because of the fact that uh, he he has that potential. It's just a matter of are the rankings going to start catching up with him because I, I think they probably should, but uh, even now the average ranking still has him outside uh, the top 125. So I think that's a mistake. But uh, just so you know, uh, don't sleep on Rosario this year if uh, he's uh, going later on in your drafts and you still haven't grabbed him yet. Number 98. This one is also a sleeper. It's a bit of a risky pick because uh, there's a very good chance that he could still be in AAA, but I would uh, definitely consider him regardless. And that is Ronald Acuna, outfielder for the Braves. Uh, like I said, uh, Acuna, you know, top prospect for the Braves. He's got a ton of power. Again, uh, I can see him hitting 30 home runs if he actually gets the at-bats uh, with the Braves and driving in a ton of runs. It's just a matter of do they uh, do they keep him down in AAA to control his rights for a few more years, or uh, uh, do they bring him up because they have a nice new stadium with a whole bunch of taxpayer funding that they now actually have to live up to? Why the taxpayers had to spend so much money on on a gaudy stadium when Turner Field was fine? Uh, that's the question. Uh, you know, again, it wouldn't shock me if the Braves still decided to stiff their fans anyway and have. Acuna just sit down in the minors when he could be playing at the major league level right now. So, again, that's a situation to monitor uh, during uh, spring training to see how he's performing. But uh, I would uh, keep an eye out for Acuna because uh, that's another sleeper candidate like Rosario that can make a difference in your lineups in a way that uh, not quite uh, the way Aaron Judge did, but it can be a sleeper where you can put up uh, – pretty good numbers overall uh, because uh, again uh, there were other guys that I also have uh, uh, planned uh, coming up after the top 100 Uh, that'll be for the next podcast but uh, uh, that you can keep an eye out for so number 99 and we have one more to go after this Uh, it is uh, our third catcher we got Wilson Contreras of the Cubs Uh, Contreras you know this is a, another situation where he's being. Uh, I'm pegging Contreras in because of the catcher position in general being a raging dumpster fire. Uh, Contreras probably is going to be around a, a 270 batting average uh, with somewhere around 80 RBIs. You know, not great numbers, but you know, the home run count. Uh, if he gets a 20, it should be 
he should be happy. Uh, it's just a matter of is he going to be as efficient as Posey? Probably not. Uh, although if he gets to twenty home runs, I think that would give him more value than Posey. Uh, it's just that I'm not sold on exactly how many homers he's going to hit. I think he's uh, still po- uh, probably going to be around 15 home runs rather than 20. But, you know, we'll see where uh, it goes uh, this year. But, uh, again, with the catcher position, it is a tough one where it's like you're sliding guys in because you don't want to get left holding the bag with a lousy catcher uh, uh, draining your uh, the rest of your roster. But I also see the point of, you know, maybe you go the route of keep drafting your p- hitters and pitchers and then you stream the catcher. Uh, you know, again, these are all possibilities that you could uh, do. It's just a matter of uh, how you want to build out your draft uh, strategy. So, uh, Contreras at number 99. And to cap off the top 100, uh, we have a Yankee in Aroldis Chapman, the closer for the Yankees, uh, who should be using him quite a bit. It's just a matter of I'm not a fan of taking closers. So Chapman is probably gone uh, 20 picks before this one uh, just because people are going to look at him and say, I need a closer and he's on the Yankees. So uh, let me grab him. Uh, You know, Chapman is uh, probably, like I said, he's probably going to be ranked somewhere in the seventies on most sports. I have him at 100 because of the fact that he's a closer. You can get value for closers later on in the draft, so I, I weigh it. Uh, I weigh closer at a disadvantage, but you know, in terms of Chapman, he's going to get uh, above 40 saves and above. Uh, he's going to strike out a ton of people. Uh, it's just that you know, again, uh, you're only pitching your closer for about 60 to 70 innings a year, so the strikeout numbers again, only help you so far, it's really how many saves you get. So, again, you can get guys on the back end of drafts that are going to get just as many saves as Chapman. It's just that the case per nine and the ERA is going to be higher than Chapman. But, you know, if you got better starting pitchers, then it doesn't matter. But, say levy. Some folks are just going to draft a a premium closer, and that's going to be the end of it. So, uh that is my top 100 uh, for fantasy baseball for 2018 thus far. So uh, thank you for listening to the podcast. We'll uh, delve into uh, some positional uh, rankings as well. So uh, we can kind of go into just uh, my thoughts on uh, certain players and also just uh, what I'm thinking in terms of draft strategy, uh, just to help you with some of your drafts uh, that are coming up. So, Uh, That's all for tonight. Uh, Hope you enjoyed, and uh, have a good evening, everyone. talked about position in all of sports the quarterback and now there's a show solely dedicated to the most sought after role on the field celebrity qb featuring four-time super bowl champion coach charlie weiss 
Unlike other football shows, you'll get the inside scoop on all things quarterbacks. Like, is this the year Tom Brady finally looks his age? Will dating Danica Patrick distract Aaron Rodgers? I mean, he's dating Danica Patrick, Charlie. We're interested in that, you know? Well, I mean, Tommy's got Giselle. I'll I'll take Giselle, okay? (laughs) Is Dak Prescott good enough to win a Super Bowl for the Cowboys? Which rookie quarterback has the best shot of making a positive impact in 2018? How about intellectually, Charlie, as far as what they ask the quarterbacks to do now? The game has changed, but the pressure that's put on quarterbacks and it always been put on quarterbacks is tremendous. Join Charlie Weiss and co-host Steve Strout on an all-new podcast from Lasting Media, exclusively about quarterbacks. Subscribe now at Apple iTunes or wherever you listen to great podcasts. Celebrity QB, everyone's favorite position. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.